If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Central Africa time. The show will take a holistic view of travel on the African continent as well as the Indian Ocean Islands. There will be travel updates, a look at business destinations, interviews and competitions. Cultural travel, a new and growing market, will be covered in depth from Cape to Cairo. David will also be advising on unique destinations that will allow listeners the opportunity to discover hidden gems on our continent. Africa Business Radio, your one-stop resource platform for all things business news, economy, leadership, productivity, investment, and more. ABR, Towards a Profitable Africa. Tune in to Africa Business Radio on www.africabusinessradio.com. Find us on Facebook, Africa Business Radio, and on Twitter, Africa Beast Radio, towards a profitable Africa. The South African Institute of Professional Accountants, making meaningful contributions to the accountancy profession and your career. Hi, I'm Bonzo Matikizela, a senior lecturer in accounting at the University of Johannesburg. Joining a professional body like Saipa suggests that one is conscious about who they are, their choice of working environment, and the experiences they want to have. I encourage my students to obtain the Saipa Professional Accountant SA designation. Professional Accountant SA, the accounting designation of choice. Veteran travel broadcaster David Batsafin joins Africa Business Radio to host a brand new travel show, Explore Africa. The first show airs at midday Central Africa time on Tuesday, February the 6th. The show will take a holistic view of travel on the African continent as well as the Indian Ocean Islands. There will be travel updates, a look at business destinations, interviews and competitions. Cultural travel, a new and growing market, will be covered in depth from Cape to Cairo. David will also be advising on unique destinations that will allow listeners the opportunity to discover hidden gems on our continent. go. Thank you, Soji. Always helps if people can hear me when I talk. So let's do this all over again, shall we? Good morning and welcome to Explore Africa. My name is David Batsafin. Welcome to the show. Um, This is the second edition of the show. The first went out last week and if you missed that, um, you can catch it on a podcast on my blog, which is www.davidbatsoffin.com. Uh, to give you the information on how you can find us while we're on air, Twitter at Africa Biz Radio or at David Batsoffin. Facebook is Africa Business Radio. Hashtag is Explore Africa. And the email is info at africabusinessradio.com. Aside from being um, Africa Business Radio, the show is also brought to you in conjunction with Nomad Africa, um, one of the most awesome travel magazines I've ever read. Um, I have an in-studio guest with me today. That's Jennifer Cole, who's the marketing manager of Wild Frontier. Jennifer, welcome to you. Thank you so much, David. It's, it's, it's great to have you here. I know it's your first time on air, so just sit back, relax. 
have a drink, maybe two. Um, get yourself in. No, I'm only kidding. There's no drink in the studio or food for that matter. So, um, yeah, what's been happening? Before I go any further, I have to take a moment to uh, mention Russell Friedman, who was with Wilderness Safaris. In fact, he was Wilderness Safaris for the longest time. Unfortunately, Russell died um, two weeks ago after sustaining a heart attack during a cycle race or a cycle ride, I should say. Um, I know that the industry um, looked up to him. Ecotourism in Africa looked up to him, and I'm sure he will be missed. But his legacy will live on. So, Russell, um, thank you for all that you did for conservation in Africa. Now, talking about conservation in Africa and talking about, which is what I'm going to be talking to uh, Jennifer about a little later, but looking at what is going on in Africa, I'm so glad, considering what's happening on the political front on our African continent, um, we're sitting at the moment here in South Africa waiting to see if our president is going to be recalled or if he will walk out of the union buildings by himself, Robert Mugabe has left the building, so to speak. And in the, the uh, light of all that, I see the first mall is now going to open in Vic Falls, which is rather interesting. It's a 13 million US dollar multi-purpose shopping mall that is going to be built at Vic Falls. Because the problem with Vic Falls is that people go there and leave. Nobody stays at Vic Falls. Um, certainly not in the small town because there's not much going on there at the moment. I see Jennifer is nodding her head. Have you been there, Jennifer? Um, I have, David, a couple of times. Mm. Um, I, I love Vic Falls. It's such a charming little town. And my first reaction when I read that was a bit twofold because you, you wonder with all the development how that will change the charm mm. of the town. Um, but at the same time, with the seventh wonder of the world being there and the Vic Falls, um, obviously tourists need to come and it's it's great that they could spend a little bit longer time yeah. and yeah absolutely depending on what I know they're going to put they're obviously going to put a supermarket yes. in of some ilk and then a variety of different shops I always wondered and and I can toss this question to you is when David Livingston first saw the Vic Falls what was his immediate reaction was it oops did I close the tap when I left home <laughs> you know when he heard the sound that because sound is just something mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Soji, have you been there? Vic Falls? Actually, no. You've been nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we must take you. The next, tri the next away trip I do, you're going to come with me. Okay. Okay, cool. You can produce the whole trip for me. <laughs> okay, so the, the ceremony for this particular shopping mall, it's called the Sawanga um, Shopping Mall. And uh, it's being built, as you say, Jennifer, you'd wondered, they, they want to encourage longer stays in the town rather than going to one of the major hotel chains close by or even across the border. Because mm. I think a lot of the business around Vic Falls is on the other side, on the Zambian side of the border. So they've already done the groundbreaking ceremony, um, and that was uh, last week. And it's going to be built um, on Pioneer Road and will hold 23 tenants. So they're looking at banks, restaurants, car park offices, those sort of things. Um, and the Minister of Tourism, he seems to think this will renew confidence in, in travel to Zimbabwe because I know that they went through a rather nasty spell when people, as I was saying, they'd rather go to the um, Zambian side and then you can walk across the bridge Correct, in, yes. into, into Zim if you really want to. Also on that note, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Vic Falls is moving. Slowly but inexorably, it's moving from the Zimbabwe side back into Zambia. And in, I don't know, millennia, maybe less, the entire Vic Falls will be in Zambia. Sure. Zim will have nothing. <laughs> I don't think they're very happy about <laughs> no, it. It's I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that they're now at 10 and 11 or something like that. Um, but, and I mean, you, you know what it's like when it comes to. Uh, geological movements it's it's millimeters a year if you're lucky but eventually it will move going to be fun for the people who want to bungee jump on the bridge and there's no water beneath them <laughs> i've microlighted over vic falls yes me too that is scary Amazing. <laughs> that is scary things dropped out of my pants um and it wasn't camera gear uh, because when you know you, you're flying along and there's ground and then all of a sudden there isn't yes um and those those lawnmowers with wings don't so much glide as plummet when the when the when the lawnmower switches off um 
They were also saying here that Victoria Falls is the central hub for visitors and tourism, and most of their tours start and finish there. So I think it it will be a, a good idea. I'm just hoping, um, and I think we had this discussion last week on the first show, that the stuff that they put in there is not going to be made in Asian countries and then brought back into Zim to sell to the tourists as local stuff. Um, I've I've taken to lifting stuff and looking underneath mm. before I purchase. And the amount of stuff that says made in and it's not Zim or any African country, you sort of go, then why do I need to buy this? No, absolutely. And there's so many talented artists in that area. So you can the, buy the definitely. most amazing handicrafts yeah. and things. So. Absolutely. Well, good for them. Um, and also Vivian McCarthy, director of Acacia Africa, it's a tour operator. She was saying she seems to think um, it's going to be uh, a good idea. Last minute, last minute gifts that you forgot to buy when you were actually at the falls. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've always asked this question um, and I'll ask it of you again. Or I'll ask it of you because I haven't asked it of you before. So I can't do it again. I correct myself and my English while I'm going along here. Toblerone, is it only bought at airports as last-minute gifts for people that you forgot <laughs> to buy gifts for? That's a really, really good question. I don't think, I think you've got a theory there. <laughs> I don't think Toblerone is bought in shops. I, and I don't know who came up with the shape. I really... I don't but you're right. I've got so, so many Toblerones from people yeah, on go, the way back oh, look from overseas. Yeah, <laughs> look what I bought you. No, you put no effort into that. You bought it at the shop as you go past um, customs on the way back in. Um, now, just because Vic Falls is getting something, Bulawayo is getting a new hotel, which is which is also good because the Zimbabwe International Trade Fair company plans to construct a 300-room hotel um, and convention center in Bulawayo uh, after completing a feasibility study. I think that would be fantastic because there's – I don't know if they've got anything left. I know they had – um, American hotels, the last time I was there, they were in this rather shabby state of disrepair. So something new might be really, really nice. And they're going to spend $11 million uh, on that, which I think is also c- quite cool. So what's it, $24 million between these two properties? Um, There's also a new development that um, is on the cards in Vic Falls, which is... Um, Chinese company, I think, but a sort of Disneyland theme park um, whole thing. So I don't know too much about it. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in that area okay. in the next while. Ch- Chinese are, are interesting in Africa because they build most everything. They've built most of the airports. Uh, they built the a roads. lot of most <laughs> of the roads. The interesting one, Soji, is if you go to Rwanda and you drive from Kigali yeah. to Lake Kivu, yeah. then the road is half Chinese and half German. <laughs> and the Chinese road has fallen apart and the German road looks like an autobahn. You can race on that <laughs> and then you crash into the potholes on the Chinese side. <laughs> um, but, but hey, listen, you know, what, what can you say? If it's good for the country, it's good for the country. It's currently, they have a 180-room hotel called the, the Bulawayo Rainbow and then the Holiday Inn with 157 rooms. So to jump from 180 to 300. Mm, you're doubling it. You're doubling it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because you could almost take all the business away from those two hotels and put it in mm. your in, in, in this particular one. And it's got a conference center, which is always nice. It's like, um, what is that, the one in Cape Town? Um, and the one in Durban. Both have, have hotels attached. Yes. And you literally just walk across the road. It means you don't have to catch cabs or taxis or anything like that, which is which is fantastic. All right, so when is the studies um, are currently in the pipeline? So it's not going to be built sort of right now. Um, they're w- waiting for expressions of interest. I don't know if that's from builders or just generally. Um, they there is a current. Um, conference exhibition hall that they're busy upgrading at, at $300,000 um, which is so at least they've got something there and then they've got trade fairs coming in next year and all sorts of wonderful things unlike Dubai this is interesting Dubai has a trade fair coming in 2020 now they already have the biggest two of the biggest malls in the world mm. in Dubai now they're building Mall of the World 
which is going to be, I think, four times the size of anything ever seen. Sure. If you if you know Dubai, the highway that runs to the airport, yes. they're building it alongside that, and it it is just mind-bogglingly big. I've never seen a building that big before. They just had the outside structure up when I was there last. Um, and it's very scary. But again, there must be people coming in. There clearly is a demand. There's Absolutely. a demand. But you, you, there, Soji, at, at the Mall of Dubai, they've got an aquarium. Actually, a huge. Not a fan of Mall of Dubai. Sorry? Actually, not a fan of Mall of Dubai. <laughs> I, I don't like, I just find it too big. Yeah. But, but the, 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 the one picture that I took, if you walk into the aquarium, because mm-hmm. there's a tunnel, and you look out, so you're looking from the inside out. I've got a picture of a shark swimming past a sweet shark. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, those, those, I'm not a fan of malls at all. No, unless you want to. I've done some amazing things. Yeah, I mean, there's a ski, there's a ski, ski ra- jump in the mm. one. I think the approach to building more has to change. I think so. I think it needs to be more A, eco friendly and yeah. B, B, I think they should regulate who actually goes in there because there are some weird people that go to malls. I love sitting in malls <laughs> and just watching people. Really. There's one mall in Joburg that I won't <coughs> mention names, but I'm, I, I think it's it's frequented by aliens and nobody knows because the rest of the shop is there. <laughs> we, they live amongst us, Soji. They live amongst us. Now, you talk about aliens. That's a nice segue into this because last week we were we were chatting about um, car hire, mm-hmm. and we all know and and you um, at Wild Frontiers when you book uh, B's and B's or you book guest houses or you book your lodges, um, Airbnb has now taken a segment of that market. Uber has taken a segment of the car rental market, and I was joking last week and said, "Is it going to get to a point where forget Uber?" You can just hire, and not a car hire, but you'll get a B and B. You'll get an Airbnb with a car as well. Mm. And now that's exactly what they're talking about. They call them autonomous vehicles um, and self-driving vehicles. Along as they say, with uh, this is Alex Bainbridge, who's the co-founder of Tours Tours CMCS. Um, self-drive vehicles, along with uh, blockchain, will be the next big industry-wide invention to make or break companies. Uber has now gone one step further. They're looking at flying cars. <laughs> they say the next 10 to 15 years. Do they not know that, what's his name, that's just taken that rocket ship to Mars, uh, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk yeah, yeah um, who, who Donald <laughs> Trump thinks is American. Good for you, yeah. Donald. Um, he's, he's from... Our country is African born. Uh, You're allowed to call it the African born country. Well, you just have. Thank (laughs) you. This is your first and last time on radio, (laughs) Jen. (laughs) But they're looking. um, I love this expression. You know, Soji, the expressions in business fascinate me because now they're saying, in short, the industry's pack of cards will be reshuffled. (laughs) <laughs> this is the this is the new go to expression, where when you've got something that comes in and is going to change revolutionize revolutionize. We, mm. Back in the day, we just said it would you know the, a new ball game, um, but now the so you've got AI. I don't know if you've seen the woman, this artificial intelligence woman. I think her name yeah. is Sonia or something like no, that. No, Sonia, not, not Sonia, but it's with an S. Yeah. Got, uh, she's, she got uh, citizenship. A citizenship of the UAE. Yes, yeah, she's the first artificial intelligence person, um, robot basically, to hold a citizenship of a country. And she can hold a conversation with you. She has emotions. So now you've got AI. You've got augmented reality. You've got virtual reality. You never need to leave home. You can, have, you can climb Kilimanjaro in your own backyard with all of this stuff. Um, Blog posts, white papers, travel industry conferences, who, who, you know, you name it, they've got it. So Uber, this is the Uber CEO. Um, his first name is Dara. His surname, I, I cannot even begin to pronounce. It starts with a K, ends with an I, and there's almost the entire alphabet in between. Kosrosh-Shahi. Close enough. Anyway, sorry, Dara. Um, he's restated Uber's plan to have flying cars zipping around um, U.S. cities within the next 10 years. Now, a decade is not much. 10 years? 
10 years and robot taxis in the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, because because all of a sudden, can bring this into an African context. Can you see the amount of taxis that we have yes, no, I in, ev- to think. in every African city on this continent? If you and if you think Johannesburg is bad, go to Nairobi. You can't move in Nairobi because of the taxis and the potholes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is scary, scary. No, Lagos pales into insignificance. I've been to Lagos. <laughs> Lagos is scary, but then again, traffic-wise, if you know when to to drive in Lagos and when not to drive, um, if you've flown in, you'll know that there is an international airport and a domestic airport, and it's a kilometer and a half from one to t'other, and we had a police escort because we were there to do a festival, and it took us an hour and a half to do that section of road. With an escort. (laughs) With an escort. And then you get to the domestic terminal, and you go... It's three o'clock. The plane's meant to be leaving. And they go, no, don't worry about it. The plane takes off when it's full. <laughs> just, just park in the queue. We'll get your luggage through eventually. It's like a taxi in the sky. It really and truly is. So we're going we're gonna to end up, I think, seeing this type of stuff. But the, the big problem at the moment is that if two driverless cars have an accident, whose fault is it? Is it the guy that invented the software? Is it whatever's on the road that keeps him online and there's got to be somebody behind that? You can't blame the drivers because they're not driving. No, absolutely. So it's everybody in the back office. So people who are inventing software are going, no, wait a minute. We're not too sure about this one because somewhere down the line we're going to be sued um, if something goes wrong. Um, he, this Banbridge again is saying that people will be able to make personalized tours. Well, they can, you can do that already with a rental car. So that's nothing new. Although if you read your rental agreements very carefully, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Which everybody does. <laughs> Have you ever tried when they hand you that form and you say, can I just read it? And they go, no, there's no, no need. No, absolutely. It's just, yes. it's just a standard form. <laughs> and then they go, no, wait a minute. I'm going to go through this. And, and a couple of times I've said, I want to put a line through a paragraph. And they go, well, you, you can't, can't really do that. No. Um, you will not take the car into mm. a game reserve. Hmm, well, I have ch- I'm, I'm driving Actually, to I a am. game reserve. <laughs> 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 but what I tend to do is if I do that, well, I've been on a gravel road, which they also stipulate again, then you wash the car down. Ah, you find somewhere <laughs> before you hand it back to get the gravel off. Um, multi-day tours, well, of course you can you can do that because – if the car is yours to utilize, then you don't, you're not linked back to we have to go at this time and you have to be here or you have to be there. I think, again, with the likes of Airbnb and those sort of things, um, people are getting more and more choice. You know, it's not so much, um, and I'll use your company as an example, uh, Wild Frontiers, where you're going to a wilderness destination. And if you're in the middle of the Serengeti, there's not many places for you to go during the day. No. You know, except into your tent to relax between game drafts. And Kilimanjaro is the same thing. If you're climbing Kili, you're going from the, the bottom to the top and back down again. You're not, oh, well, we've climbed for the day. We'll just tootle back down to, to base camp and go and have a, a beer or something. So I'm, I'm not too sure if this, if this is, is such a big deal. Although he says here that car park, and this, this I, I find very interesting, car parks will become less important. Car parks will always be important because he says they can be positioned away from the attraction and then you'll have pick up and drop off. Mm. But why? If I'm driving myself, why do I now? Because this is is almost self-defeating because so I've got the car for myself. I can drive myself to wherever it is. Mm. Then I have have to wait in a far car park for a shuttle Mm. to pick me up to take me to the destination and the same thing in reverse doesn't work for me i think uh, um, there's also been speculations that uh, over time there won't be need for anyone to own a car well this is it because so well that's a good thing make car park useful. well yes. then yes i see you know talking about that the uh, and i don't know if either of you are aware of this and if you're not specifically for your um guest jen the, the long-term car park at or tambo has closed and what they've done is they've moved it because I was talking to one of the ladies the la- on my last trip and she said, today's the last day. We close tomorrow. 
and cars that are there will be allowed out, but nobody will be allowed in. So they've re- they've opened one closer to the terminal, so you don't need to wait for a bus. Because they said to, to she said to me that we weren't making money, we were losing it because at eighty rand a day, it was actually worth it to drive there and park rather than to use Uber or one of those. Um, anything, I mean, my three day stay cost me 130 rand. You can't even catch a train for 130 rand. But same price, but now closer to the airport. So those of you who are going to be going to ORT, please just um, check before you, (coughs) pardon me, and check before you go so that you know where the new car park is because I'm flying out. I'm leaving next Friday and I better find it because I have no idea where this new car park is and just now I can't go to the old one. If you've just tuned in, good morning, welcome. The show is called Explore Africa. I'm David Batsoffin and I'm with you through until 1.30. She's Jennifer Cole. She's the marketing manager from Wild Frontiers and she's also with me until 1.30 and Soji is my producer and he'll also hopefully be with me until (laughs) 1.30. If you'd like to get hold of us, Twitter at Africa Biz Radio or at David Batsoffin. Facebook is Africa Business Radio. Hashtag for the show is Explore Africa and the email info at africabusinessradio.com. The podcasts are available on the Africa Business Radio website. They'll also be available on my blog, which is www.davidbatsoffin.com. Looking at the first segment of the show, we've just been talking about what's going on in the industry generally throughout Africa, what's what's new, what's hot, what's not. and what might be coming up in the not too distant future and how this will how this will impact on on people who are are going to be traveling and and going to be away how are they going to get around um specifically because you know if you if you're going to be away and you're going to need transport at the moment it can often be a problem specifically if you're um going to be in a country where you're driving on the other side of the road but here's something we mentioned earlier artificial intelligence all of those sort of things so they say here hotels will be able to retail autonomous vehicle sightseeing tours directly from their concierge or their digital replacements <laughs> So concierges worldwide or Africa-wide who are reading this are going, oh, no, my job's on the line as well now. Yeah. And they'll, they'll become robots, um, specifically programming an itinerary designed for a hotel guest. So you can spend your loyalty points and um, also how left luggage is, is dealt with. I suppose they can get it to you faster because at the moment that's always a problem. You climb on an aeroplane and you always just hope that you and your luggage will arrive at the destination at roughly the same time or on the same flight. <laughs> although, although now, and use Dubai as an example, if you're flying back from Dubai, there are I think four flights a day now. Um, and they left my luggage behind on the 7 a.m. flight and it came back on 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then I was coming home, so it doesn't really matter. When, we, when I travel, all my gifts are in, in my hand luggage, and it's usually just dirty washing in the rest. <laughs> so if it gets lost. And when you're at home, it doesn't really matter. You know, you don't think about it. Oh, I need clothes or whatever. And it was brought to me by 5 o'clock, which is really, really nice. We're going to go to an ad break. When we come back, we're going to look at um, some business travel. We're going to continue chatting to Jennifer because I'm sure she has some insights into that. And I also want to tell you a little bit about Safair because they've got a new innovation on board their domestic flights currently. Don't go away. Veteran travel broadcaster David Batsoffin joins Africa Business Radio to host a brand new travel show, Explore Africa. The first show airs at midday Central Africa time on Tuesday, February the 6th. The show will take a holistic view of travel on the African continent as well as the Indian Ocean Islands. There will be travel updates, a look at business destinations, interviews and competitions. Cultural travel, a new and growing market, will be covered in depth from Cape to Cairo. David will also be advising on unique destinations that will allow listeners the opportunity to discover hidden gems on our continent. Africa Business Radio, your one-stop resource platform for all things business news, economy, 
leadership, productivity, investment, and more. ABR, Towards a Profitable Africa. And we're back. My name is David Batsoff, and welcome to the show. It's Explore Africa. Uh, let me give you all the connection details once more. Twitter, at Africa Biz Radio, or at David Batsoff, and Facebook, Africa Business Radio. Hashtag for the show is Explore Africa Email info at africabusinessradio.com and also look at uh, Nomad Africa magazine. Um, they celebrate the world's richest continent. And talking about the world's rich, richest continent, a first for me on radio, uh, I'm going to be linking now to a video clip. I mean, I've linked to audio clips before, but this is just something slightly different. So let's take a listen and a look at what the CEO of South African Tourism, Ciso Nchona, had to say. Always been reliant on the natural resources, whether it be gold, oil, diamonds across the board. And what we've seen is the commodity prices of those have started to come down. The next area that the continent is looking to for growth is tourism. So that's a space that uh, we all want to magnify, that we want to amplify. And uh, you know, the African continent is a very beautiful place, and we've got the world to show. Uh, what we have to offer, not only the continent, I mean the, the world as well, but also inter-Africa trade becomes important. Yes, but uh, again, you, you did mention something interesting there, that how Africa has a lot to offer, but there is still a lot that is left untapped, like an until field. Uh, but what, what would be the value of encouraging intra-African trade in tourism, and uh, what impact could this have on the job creation, let alone the African brand across the globe? Well, I mean, if you look at uh, the issues that are occupying the world leaders at the moment, it's all around the fourth industrial revolution, and that's essentially robots taking over people's jobs. Uh, tourism is a natural mitigator of that because it is labor-intensive. So it is a space that's actually poised for growth. Uh, just to give you some examples, you know, um, South Africa, uh, in the 2016 uh, calendar year, we experienced the highest level of uh, international tourists. We hit the magical 10 million mark. Now, the interesting part of that is that 74% of the 10 million is actually African visitors coming into South Africa. So, so the continent in terms of uh, providing tourism jobs, providing tourism activity is very important for us in South Africa. Uh, yes, uh, again, uh, just help us understand on uh, the back of, uh, you did mention 74, 75% of uh, the tourism is heading down to South Africa. Now, we did see uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, the key conversation was basically on uh, how to live in a, in a, di this, um, like, it was basically more on uh, climate change. And uh, today we did see something in Cape Town uh, where we saw a water crisis. Now, how can uh, African nations encourage travel while facing uh, challenges like uh, climatic change challenges as what we saw in Cape Town, the water crisis, how can that be? Absolutely. I mean, we are in the middle of that at the moment. And uh, what you're seeing, South Africa, Cape Town, is really setting the benchmark you know, for world-class cities as to how to respond to climate change. Um, this is not unique to South Africa or even Cape Town alone, but we've seen other cities such as Los Angeles, Sao Paulo, uh, even the likes of um, Abu Dhabi as well, also facing uh, water crisis issues. The key here, the message I want to send is that this is the new normal. This is now how we are going to lead with ecotourism in terms of how we want international tourists and domestic ones to actually, you know, travel through from a responsible tourism perspective. Uh, key to add here, however, is that we still want to encourage people to visit Cape Town. You know, um, however, we want everyone to be mindful and to be acutely aware of the water crisis issues. And as I said earlier on, this is the new benchmark. It's not just going to be, uh, you know, in uh, South Africa and Cape Town alone, but over the next couple of years, we'll start to see how, you know, world-class cities start to really uh, bring about the importance of this, uh, you know, finite resource. Um, uh, thank you again. One, one uh, very first question that I would like to touch best with is, uh, now, again, I'll bring you back to your conversation where you told me that at least 75% of the tourists uh, go down to South Africa. Now, 
let's let's look at it from an African perspective because this is a Pan-African channel. Uh, what should be done, or how can we actually push for more, like to to see actually more uh, regions like West Africa, uh, which is a very developed uh, region, by the way, or maybe uh, East Africa that is an emerging market, get some of this, like get a piece of the pie. Absolutely, I think just to clarify there, what I was saying is that. Out of all of our total international visitors into South Africa, 74% of them are actually African visitors. So we rely a lot on the continent to be uh, for our tourism sector. Uh, absolutely. You know, um, we have formed uh, an association called RITOSA, Regional Tourism Organizational Bodies of Southern Africa. And what we realize there is that we actually need to collaborate as a region to make sure that we all upgrade our tourism facilities. Everything from grading, star grading an example, to make sure that a three-star in South Africa is comparable to a three-star in Zimbabwe or even Angola as an example. That's the first part. The second part is also to look at what we call business tourism. And these are the conferencing uh, space. I mean, you'd know quite well in Rwanda in itself, you know, the ICC is really testament to how the focus is around having conferencing and everything around that side. So we're starting from a regional side, but over time, we want to make sure that we develop the continent as a tourism hub because we want to believe that each country has got its own unique features that it can showcase as well, you know, to the world. Um, the, the, the global stats in terms of the sector of tourism growing is about 7% per annum. So we want the African continent to have a share of this as well. Then the last uh, kind of opportunity that's there is the continent's total uh, market share of the global tourism space is only 5%, right? So that's 54 countries, literally only getting 5% of the pie. Um, comparable, the Middle East has a 5% stake as well. You know? so, so we've got such a long way to go in terms of making sure that we get more market share and we drive the growth uh, within the continent as well. Uh, Cesar, maybe let's drive the conversation back home to Rwanda. Now, the country uh, has hopes to, to make or generate revenues in the tourism industry up to a $2 billion um, receipt. Now, Rwanda is a relatively smaller ca country and uh, not as advanced as South Africa is as of today, uh, but it is uh, pretty much an emerging uh, market for tourism when we look at... Uh, they sold close to 1,039 permits of uh, gorilla trekking as of May to July. Just help me understand, what can the country put in place to actually hit some of these targets midterm? I mean, look, I think the first one is to understand what's a unique selling proposition. What is unique that Rwanda has to offer that no other country around the world has to offer as well. Remember that the tourist has choices. They can go to any other destination. So. Why should they come to Rwanda? I think that's the first part. The second part is to understand geographically in terms of where Rwanda is placed, right? We have to make sure that you've got good airline connectivity to make sure that you can connect the world into the country so that, you know, flight availability and frequency of it are quite important as well. Uh, the last one is to look at the conferencing space, right? And you've done that quite well as Rwanda to make sure that you place yourself on the global map as a conference destination and uh, start to get your fair shake of what happens around those spaces. Key thing around conferences is that it rotates. So it makes sense for African countries to actually collaborate and work together to make sure that they are part of this uh, conferencing circuit. So, so I think those are the top of my mind in terms of some of the key things. Of course, I mean, uh, you've done this quite well in terms of um, reducing the barriers there. Things like visas, you know, um, you know uh, facilitating visas on arrivals or not having visas at all leads to ease of movement, you know, between what we call the source markets where you want the tourists to come from into Rwanda itself. Now, uh, another thing that I would like to look at is... Uh, for a smaller market as Rwanda is, but also a growing one, just... And East Africa as a region, uh, what, what do you have to say or what does South Africa as a market that is pretty much advanced has to uh, advise for um, 
these other markets in the east of the continent on uh, the terms of uh, price points, like price points. We did see an increment of uh, close to 100% increment on the gorilla trekking permits as of last year uh, to 1,500. It was quite huge, but uh, it did pick up as we moved into uh, the year. However, what does uh, you as uh, the chief executive officer of the South African Tourism advice on the same? Look, it's, it's a tricky balance, and you don't want to outprice yourself out of the market. Uh, as I said earlier on, is that the astute traveler knows they have options, so they're always looking for value for money. Uh, I'm not saying commoditize what you have, because if you've got a unique experience, of course you can start to charge a premium for it. But at some point in time, you know, um, you are going to have the opposite effect happening where people don't come anymore. So you've got to make sure that you've got the right price point as well. Uh, we live in a world of what we call dynamic pricing, right? Which basically um, the price is determined by the time of the day, the time of the year, by also the popularity of the destination itself as well. So, you know, you've got to keep all of those in mind as well. Um, key, what I would say, and I'd like to promote within the East Africa region, is collaboration, right? We need to collaborate, you know, collaborate to compete, essentially. Understanding that we are essentially a long-haul destination for some of the key markets around the U.S., Europe, and even uh, China, or, or rather the East as well. So you've got to know that you're a long-haul destination, that at times giving the tourist a four-country experience is more beneficial than just hogging them to one country for um, um, a formidable amount of time. So, so collaboration becomes key. As long as each experience is different and each country has something different to offer into the package itself. Um, uh, you know, you always hear about Africa being the last undiscovered frontier. Definitely, we've got to play into that space and make sure we collaborate. As South African Tourism, we actually uh, host an annual um, tourism in Daba, in Durban, in May, and we invite all of the continent to showcase its ability to the world to be a formidable leisure destination as well, and also a tourism hub to the world. Veteran travel broadcaster David Batsafin joins Africa Business Radio to host a brand new travel show, Explore Africa. The first show airs at midday Central Africa time on Tuesday, February the 6th. The show will take a holistic view of travel on the African continent as well as the Indian Ocean Islands. There will be travel updates, a look at business destinations, interviews and competitions. Cultural travel, a new and growing market, will be covered in depth from Cape to Cairo. David will also be advising on unique destinations that will allow listeners the opportunity to discover hidden gems on our continent. And we're back. Good morning. Good afternoon already. Yes, it is. It's uh, coming up quarter to one Central African time here in South Africa. My name is David Batsoff and the show is Explore Africa. And if you've missed the majority of the show today, A, you can find it on podcast on a variety of different platforms via the Africa um, Business Radio website. You can also listen to it again on Monday. That's next Monday, not yesterday. We can't go back to the future. I'm I'm not Michael J. Fox. Uh, Monday at half past two, Wednesday at 8.30 in the morning and Friday at 10 a.m. Let me give you the contact details. Twitter at Africa Biz Radio or at David Batsoffin. Facebook Africa Business Radio. Hashtag for the show is Explore Africa. Email info at africabusinessradio.com and don't forget Nomad Africa Magazine um, who are also in involved in when it comes to sponsorship of this particular show um, before I get back to my guest who is uh, Jennifer Cole who's the marketing manager of Wild Frontier I noticed with interest that the first local carrier that's Fly Air, has enabled card payments for in-flight refreshments which I think is quite awesome because there's always a problem you never get on with the exact you see I do wish when it comes to on in-flight menus it shouldn't be like 10 rand 50 cents make it 11 or make it 10 then you don't need change you know so because uh, th- they always will get back to you and you hand them a 100 rand note for a 10 rand Thank item and then you're hoping that before the plane lands you get your, your change back well anyway so they're using avia avia pay 
It's a new mobile point of sale system which enables passengers to use their credit and debit cards to uh, fly to to purchase refreshments in flight. Jennifer, you seem to be nodding your head. Have you tried this one before? No, I haven't, but it makes perfect sense to me because I experience the same frustrations. Okay. Now, talking of frustrations, the, the reason that I asked you um, or asked Debbie Addison to to pick somebody to come in, <laughs> you, you drew the short straw, um, was to talk ecotourism because this seems to be the way of the future. Are your guests... Now, first, firstly, tell us a little bit about the background of Wild Frontiers. What do you offer your, your, your travellers? Okay, so Wild Frontiers um, was established in about 1991 um, by John and Debbie Addison. They actually, um, I mean, if you met John, he's a real bushman, so he really, <laughs> I hope he's not listening. Um, oh, he will, I'm sending him the podcast. <laughs> but he really, like Africa, just pumps through his veins. Yeah. And, and as a couple, they are so absolutely passionate about it, and, and that's why I enjoy working with the company, um, because they really... Um, they just know Africa like the back of their hand. Um, we operate camps and um, operations in Uganda and Tanzania specifically. Um, so we have tented camps up in Serengeti. Uh, we employ about 200 people up there and run offices. Um, and we do really once-in-a-lifetime experiences like the gorilla tracking. Mm. Um, so Africa is a very, very special continent. And... I think we're very privileged because every day we get to sell something that some people wait a lifetime to experience even just once. You know, I was thinking about this. I, I always used to be judgmental. You get on a game drive vehicle with international tourists, and the first thing they say is, we want to see the big five and we want to see them now. Mm-hmm. And and I would think to myself, no, stop being so pretentious. You see whatever it is. And then I realized that, as you just mentioned, Jen, a lot of these people save up for a lifetime to come to Africa once and once only. If I don't see lions this week, I'm going to be in the bush again in two weeks' time. And I'll see them then, or in two weeks' time after that. So for me, it's not about seeing the big five. I go into the bush with absolutely no expectations other than to see something that I didn't see the day before. That's it. But for international tourists, they want to see everything so they can tick it off a list and then go home satisfied and have their money's worth. But now, how does ecotourism does play a part? Do people sort of start questioning you about the water that you use, the toilet paper, how do you wash the towels, that type of thing? I don't think our guests um, in general are that particular. I think people are very conscious when they travel, um, right. and they like to choose who they travel with. Um, and... You know, as a company, I think our ethos is really just to do the right thing. Um, So, like with our our camps in the Serengeti, we have a camp that moves um, from the south to the north that follows the migration. (laughs) You don't tell your guests. (laughs) They leave in the morning on game drive. When they come back, the camp's gone. The camp is gone, but they will be relocated. So, we take them to the heart of the action. Right. Um, But really, you want to to leave um, as little footprint as Mm. you can. And I know that that kind of sounds like a... um, Unobtainable But it's not No It can be done And um, So We we are very aware of um, The uh, How we build our camps Mm -hmm. Um, We are very eco-friendly In that we have Bucket showers um, Eco-friendly Flush toilets All that kind of thing But I think that That when people are there um, They're more aware of When you come to Africa I think it's such a vast country And you feel so Tiny, I mm. do. Whenever I travel, I think I'm just this tiny speck in this vast, beautiful continent. Yeah. Um, but you also feel that you're connected. Um, and so a lot of people want to know how they can contribute more. So mm. even if they've come out and they've been like, this must be an eco-friendly camp or whatever it is, once they're here, they actually look further and they want to see what they can do and how they can get involved. Mm. Um, and, and that's where we do a lot of work um, on the ground with getting involved with um, local projects and conservation things, initiatives. I know that, I don't know whether it's still in, in it, whether it's still active. I think when I climbed Kili with, with your company for the first time, which was 2006, you used to have a, a clothes library where, where the guides could go and borrow clothing because I seem to remember Debbie saying that they, Debbie Addison, who Jennifer referred to earlier, saying that she found guides going up Killy in literally a t-shirt, shorts and flip-flops. Yes. 
there are a lot of guides um, that really have nothing, and they will um, climb as they are. We've, we have clients that will come back and actually donate their own climbing. Oh, I've done them. that. Um, <laughs> yes, to, to other guides that they see. Um, our guides, we have a partnership with Cape Union Mart, mm. um, and they're really good with, with providing um, equipment and things. But, yeah, um, and in fact, we have um, a client who ran the Kilimanjaro Marathon one year and then climbed Kili afterwards. And the following year, he came back with a huge project with all of his friends and, and they, as a group, all climbed and donated shoes. And That's wonderful. I, you know, people say to me, what is Kili like? And I say, when you come back from Kilimanjaro and you haven't climbed, so you have this to look forward to, um, Jen. You come back and you go and park your car and somebody sneaks in front of you and you sort of go... I've just come back from the highest freestanding mountain in, in the world. Mm. Am I going to worry about this parking space? No. Unfortunately, that wears off after three months, and then you start <laughs> wanting to kill people That's why again. you have to travel regularly. <laughs> you have to go <laughs> read. Yeah, I but I don't know if you could do Killy more than once a year because it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a tough walk, and. It was only after my second time that I realized how tough it was. <laughs> I did want to go back a third time, and that may still happen. But when, I'm not too sure. I want to try and be the oldest person to ever summit Kilimanjaro. Okay, well, you've got a good few years. I've got a good, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm having a retirement party later this year because I've reached retirement age. No. I'm not going to retire, but I'm just going to throw the party. Any other people, party. Other people must throw the party for me. That's what normally happens, isn't it? It is. When you retire. Indeed. Yeah, but I work for myself, so I don't have to throw it for me. Um, as somebody said, I don't know what I'm going to buy myself for Valentine's Day yet. I'm so wonderful. Anyway, <laughs> not me, him. Oh, they said it, not me. So, how, what does ecotourism actually involve? What do you, what do you, do, do, is there a go to sort of checklist that people who say, are your camps eco friendly? You can say, yes, they are because they meet the following standards. We, recycle our grey water, we grow our own vegetables, that type of thing. I think it's pretty much about being as self-sustaining uh, as possible, like you mentioned, um, uh, growing your own vegetables, uh, recycling things. Those, uh, in Uganda, all of the soaps um, and the products that we use, uh, toiletries-wise, are actually um, biodegradable and they are also manufactured or created by a local community project. So it's okay. a bunch of local women that do that. Um, so I think it's all intertwined. It's not just about even importing eco-friendly products from another country, but it's about supporting the local community. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned just before we went on air about a tree project that's coming up, which sounds... But Sochi had an interesting comment to make. His comment was, why? But you'll tell us about the product and, or about the project, and then maybe he can figure it out for himself. <laughs> so um, you'll know, having climbed Kelly, mm -hmm. that um, with climate change and, and all that kind of thing, um, the glaciers on top of Kelly are pretty much disappearing, and they mm -hmm. reckon that within five years they may not even be there to a large extent. Um, so we run an annual marathon around Kilimanjaro. And which is now. Which is coming up now in three weeks' time, yeah. the 4th of March. Um, and proceeds um, from that marathon, there is a, um, a new project, actually, that we will be supporting this year. Um, it is called uh, Trees for Kelly. Um, and the long-term initiative is actually to plant 50 million trees around wow. the base of Kelly um, over the next decade. Okay. But the initial kickoff um, will be in April now around World Earth Day. Mm -hmm. um, and they have 25 teams that are going to be planting 1 million saplings wow. on the base of Kelly. Instead of running the marathon, just go and plant trees, people. It's, it sounds like it's going to be as much exercise. And just you were talking about World Earth Day. Today is International Radio Day. And the very first broadcast was on the 24th of December, 1906. We've come a long way since those old valve radios. And uh, Mr. Marconi, who had the first transatlantic signal in 1901. You, you sort of wonder how people wake up and go, I'm going to invent a radio, when, when nothing like that exists. And I'm sure, again, it's the same here with your, you, with your camps. I mean, the camps, your your mobile camps, your tented camps, the fruit, the the, the food that go goes in there is for each individual to a party. I mean, you're not growing vegetables because you can't. The camp moves, so you can't leave veggie patches behind. Correct. But then, are you trying to buy 
source locally rather than going to a supermarket, for yes, instance. Yes, absolutely. So everything gets brought in from our base in Arusha, mm-hmm. um, all fresh. And we don't just sell our own camps. So when we create a safari, there are a lot of other businesses and companies whose uh, lodges we also include in an itinerary. Um, and we are very conscious as well of working with people that have a sim- similar ethos to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will find majority of the lodges, especially around the Ngorogoro area, all of that, um, most of them are on working plantations, tea plantations, coffee plantations, and they all grow their own vegetables. Okay. And they make good coffee up there. Absolutely. And tea for that matter. <laughs> You're f- are you a bush person? Do you enjoy the bush? I mean, you're working for Wild Frontiers. You have to be. You have to. Exactly. <laughs> I love the bush. Uh, as I say, whenever I travel, I, f- I really feel connected. Mm. Um, and it's good to just escape the rat race of your everyday life. Yeah, and then and you have to come there. back and the rats are winning, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> um, or in the case of my child, when she came, went back to Cape Town, she found the rats had eaten half of the wiring of her car. <laughs> is what happens when you park your car for three months because <laughs> you're out of town. Um, do you have a favorite bush bush experience that you that you've had a favorite anecdote sitting around a fire when something interesting has occurred? Um, can I change that slightly and just say my my most favorite African mm. experience? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really privileged in that I've tracked the mountain gorillas twice. I've done it on both Rwanda and Uganda side. What is that like? It is absolutely just mind blowing, and I'm I'm really glad that I did it twice because I think when I did it the first time. Um, I was like the real average tourist and I just had my camera out and I just wanted the perfect shot and mm. perfect shot of me with the girl in the background. Um, and you only get to spend an hour with them. Yeah, I believe so. And, have, you know, an hour never passes as quickly as when you're there with them. And um, so to go back the second time and experience, I can really say to our guests now, take like five pics and then put your camera away. And mm. you can, yes, in my last experience, I literally stared for about 15 minutes into the eyes of a silverback and you just they're just so gentle and they stare at you and you just wonder what are you thinking <laughs> you know when when the gor- and I mean it's not the same at, by any manner of means but when Max the gorilla Joburg Zoo mm. died they imported another gorilla called Makoko who was singularly the most beautiful gorilla I have ever seen I was hoping that there could be interspecies relationships because I would have dated that thing in a minute. <laughs> but it didn't like men. It loved, well, it was a, it was a male gorilla, but it loved women. women. The, the interesting thing, we went as a, a, a part of a junket to behind the scenes of the Joburg Zoo, and he would allow the female journalists literally to step up and touch him. If one of the men took a half a step towards him, he was back beaten on his chest going, I'm bigger than you are. But what, I mean, you say staring into that, did, 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 he, did he touch you at all? Did he interact with you or did he just sit and look at you? No, he actually, when we arrived, was up in a tree, mm-hmm. um, busy collecting his food. And then he just went down into a clearing and lay there and ate his food and checked us out. And he was so chilled. And, and little ones? Um, so it depends on the group that you visit, mm-hmm. obviously, what your experience is. Um, we saw two little ones, but immediately the moms took them away. Okay. Um, but a colleague of mine trekked the next day, and she had the most amazing experience where the um, mom was actually breastfeeding the baby as well. So wow. Yes, and that, I think, is really unusual to see. That is so cool. It, 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 it's very, very special, and I know it's getting very expensive. Um, the permits to do those sort of treks are, are getting, I think, reasonably prohibitive now. So on the Ugandan side, they're six hundred dollars mm. um, per trek, and on the and Rwandan ga- side, yeah. one thousand five hundred dollars. Well, and, it's n- and you're not guaranteed sightings. You're not guaranteed sightings. Although um, I know on the Ugandan side, in the last year, they've never not had a sighting. Okay. Um, I think the gorillas are pretty well habituated. Mm. Um, so. But, you know, having said that, it is expensive, but they need that money in order to protect them. It all goes back into conservation. Well, and yeah, this is the thing. 10% of the permits go back into the local community um, surrounding the, the same the as area. So it's also yes. expensive now, you know, 45K to, to climb a mountain, basically. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I think your park fees alone are 12 grand. I know. It's, yes. it's ridiculous. But that, that, as you say, that goes back into mm. the economy. It goes back into tourism. Yes, and you also don't want want something like that to become too commercialized and accessible to everybody. Supposedly on... You mean 45k per person? 45,000 rand per person. No, per person. person. No, no, per person. person. No, no, per person. person. <laughs> 
It's expensive, Saji. That that includes the flights from Joburg up there. It includes everything. But it, it is expensive. New Year's Eve, 2000, they had 2,000 people try and summit so that they would be for the new... For the millennium. For, for the millennium. Mm-hmm. They'd be on the top of the mountain. And even now, when, when you summit, if when you leave, there's always people ahead of you. So you just see, firstly, there's darkness, and then you see torches, headlamps, making their way up the mountain. And it's fa- you think you're alone on the mountain, or there's just a 10 of you or 12 of you, whatever size your party is. But no, there are hundreds of people on that mountain going up and coming mm-hmm. down. And in the last 100 meters, it looks like something out of a zombie apocalypse because <laughs> <laughs> people can barely walk because you of the You all altitude. just stumble towards your cold kili lager. That's, well, that, that's it. That's the stumbling there is the running <laughs> back <laughs> that, 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 you, that you want to experience. So aside from Serengeti, because now I see, and if I can just go back to my script here, um, the the big thing at the moment is marine ecotourism because people don't necessarily want to dive with sharks where 